Hey folks, and welcome to Brown It Out. Today I am talking with Derek Johnson. Derek, how are you today? I'm pretty good, Reggie. It's Sunday and I'm feeling pretty good. Good. I'm very happy to hear that. It's sunny here. How about in your neck of the woods? Yeah, it's sunny and it's a little warmer than normal. So yeah, yeah, I'm happy about it. We're almost coasting to 50 around here, right? Okay. It's like global warming. <laughs> it, on the, good, the good bits, I guess, if there's good bits. It certainly is one of the pros of climate change, if we can say that there are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, Derek, I know that you recently had a birthday. Is that correct? I did. I just celebrated my 42nd birthday on the 8th of December. Oh, my gosh. Happy birthday. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, 42. It's a thing. It's a number. But I feel good. So you feel positive about it. Yeah, I do. I do. Um I mean, I don't know what 42 is supposed to feel like or you know what have you, but you know, I'm positive about it. Good. Everybody's yeah, cuz sorry. Everybody's been saying how, you know, 2020 is such like um it's been like horrible for a lot of people. But you know, honestly, I was reflecting on this after my birthday. It's pro- it's 2020, though it's had its challenges, has been pretty good to me so far. And if that's your reflection, I think that's the best you can ask for. I feel like you're winning at life, pretty much. Well, let's I, let's go ahead. Hashtag winning. <laughs> so keep I, winning. <laughs> I salute you. So take us back, though, to that original birthday. The first, I mean, wait, you're, you're the day of your birth. Where was it? Where, where are you from, Derek? So um, I am, I was born in Delaware um, in a small town called Seaford, Delaware. And it's not far from the sea. So I guess Seaford. Um, uh, my mom doesn't remember if I was born at day or night. You know, I always ask that because I'm like those astrologists astrological charts always ask like what time you were born she doesn't remember um but <laughs> it's, it was on a friday i do know that um and i grew up in delaware till maybe at about six or seven but just like you know up in vermont where all the states kind of touch um they do everywhere else and so um maybe at around five or six we moved to a small town called salisbury maryland which is on the eastern shore of maryland which Delaware, Maryland, Virginia make up the Delaware, Maryland, Virginia Peninsula. They call it Delmarva because it's right on the ocean. So that's where I grew up. Um, and I grew up with my my mom, my dad. They were married. Um, they're, they're since divorced. Um, you know, childhood was pretty good in the beginning. It wasn't always that great. Uh, I have another brother. His name is Julian. Um, and we grew up there. I don't know how much you want me to say, but I can go into the whole story about it all. Go into the um, whole story. We have time today. Yeah, so grew up on the eastern shore of Maryland. Um, like I said, my parents got divorced because my father, I didn't know this until like last year, but my father always had an issue with drugs. Um, he was addicted to drugs. Um, even like when I was younger, my mother last year was like, we were together and she was like, oh, you don't remember us going to pick your father up from this rehab place, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> you know? So in my mind, I just assumed that it was something that was new. 
but it was something that was always there. And my mother and father were like childhood sweethearts. They lived like around the corner from one another. They went to grade school together. They went to high school together. Um, they dated throughout high school. Um, my mother actually was supposed to go off to college to be a nurse. She ended up using her money that her mother had given her to pay for her first semester of college to pay for a wedding. <laughs> and I'm like in the, I'm in the photo, but in my mother's stomach. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, they got married. I remember, as I said, childhood was really nice and fun. We were a family who like went camping and did all that stuff. You know, we went to the beach, we went on trips. But yeah, my father was addicted to drugs and I didn't know that until like maybe I was in, um, I don't know, fourth grade because it started to get out of hand and um, he started to become violent towards my mother. And um, yeah, it got, it got messy. And then he did something that I still don't understand and we've talked about it, but my father robbed a bank uh, when I was in the, um, in the fourth grade. In the fourth, yeah, fourth grade. He robbed a couple of banks. And um, I remember this, it's imprinted in my mind because uh, the day that he robbed the bank, he came and picked me up from school. And though, you know, I said my father was on drugs, he was still kind of like present. He was still like, he worked at night, he had a day job, he had an evening job at night, my mom worked during the day. And this day in particular, he came and picked me up from school in a taxi and not in our car, which is weird. Um, and so he picks me up, and from school, and I'm, you know, I'm happy to see him. And uh, he takes me to my um, aunt's house, which is like seven miles away back in Delaware, and drops me off. And um, that was also weird, because normally it was like, we, I'd walk home from school, and my, my brother, my mom come home with my brother, and my dad be off about to go to work. Anyway, long story short, that night, my mother came and picked us up. She didn't say anything. And we drove home and we got home and we're watching the like, I don't know, like seven or eight o'clock news, whatever it was. And across the screen is a picture of my father. And it says, wanted Derek Johnson. And we have the same name. I'm a junior. So it's Derek Renee Johnson, Jr. Um, and I just remember that. And then we went to sleep. And I don't know, maybe it was like 11 or something at night. Our house was surrounded by like FBI agents with lights in the windows and everything looking for my father. At the same time, they were looking at my aunts and looking at my grandmother's, his, his um, grandmother's house. And um, yeah, he, he almost, he, he was trying to get out of the country, which is so weird. Um, so he was driving to the North and he, he robbed a few other banks and then he got caught and he spent 10 years or so in prison. Um, so my mom did something that was really amazing. Um, you know, she was working at a local poultry plant and from being at the local poultry plant, she decided to go back to school. And so she went to community college and she became the director of like a program at the community college and that afforded her the ability to go through undergrad. And then she went to graduate school. And um, now she's a, you know, she's a licensed therapist and she, you know, she took care of my, my brother and I, you know, the best she could. Not to say that our relationship has always been awesome, right? But that's, I think that's a given with families. And, you know, my father, as I said, he spent 10 years in prison and we had a really tough time after he came out of prison simply because it was like, you know, I'm now 20, at the time it was like 10, so now I'm 21. He's out of prison and he was wanting to recreate this like father-son relationship. 
which um, I wasn't really open to, to be honest. Um, but now we have an adult son, adult son, adult father relationship, which is pretty awesome. Um, so that's a that's a little bit about the beginning of my childhood. <laughs> Thank so you. So it was like most people, is turbulent and interesting, rocky at times. Um, but I think prepared me for prepared me for life. Um, yeah, in a lot of ways. Thank you for being so candid about your life. I appreciate that. Um, and I'm candid about it because I used to be ashamed of it. And I'm no longer ashamed of it. Um, so yeah, that's why I'm able to be open about it because I'm no longer ashamed of it. And um, because I am a teacher, it's one of those stories that I always kind of always share with my students. You know, because um, as a kid, people think they know what's happening in your life but they really don't. And um, as an educator, currently as an educator, it's always like something I try to impart to like, yeah, you know, life is not always perfect. It is difficult, there is struggle, but those things don't last always. And they do um, make impressions upon your life that um, you can use, yeah, that you can use. I went to college um, in Maryland um, did a little bit of partying and didn't get my way all the way through. Um, so then I moved, I moved to DC and I had to, you know, work. And then I was like, okay, this work thing is not going to cut it. So like, kind of like my mom was like, oh, even though I'm still working, but it was like not the kind of work that I wanted to do. So I was working during the day and putting myself through college at night. And I did that. And I um, graduated from undergrad with a degree in business administration and worked for two major nonprofits doing like business operational stuff and procedural stuff um, for AARP and NPR. And in 08, that was when we had our like, I don't know, I guess it was similar to the Great Depression for our time. Um, you know, and I was let go at NPR and I had a friend who was over in South Korea and he was teaching English. And I had always been curious about teaching. I want to be a teacher, but at the time it was like, oh, you can't make money teaching. You know, cause I was like on the paper trace, I'm trying to secure the bag as they say. And, uh, but I was like, what the hell, I'm gonna do it. So he got me a job, a connection, and I went to Korea and I taught English there for about a year and a half. And um, came back home cause my grandmother who I'm really close with was really ill. And I felt like I was too far away from my family at the time and so I came back home and I was online just like searching looking like okay I know I want to be a teacher but I don't want to do any like I don't want to do another undergrad program and Teach for America is not really filling me because I don't have like the the stuff so I found the school for international training training in Brattleboro Vermont and I took a drive up um on the whim and like really just like fell in love with the whole like you know, mountainous landscape, this crunchy granola kind of feel of a place. And I was like, this is what I'm going to do. So I came back, I packed up my stuff and I was like, got everything in order. And then I went there to SIT and did the master's program and got the master's in TESOL, teaching English to speakers of other languages. But at the time, going through the program, not to say I've never experienced racism or didn't know what like, you know, the major isms, what I call the three ugly head isms which are you know 
capitalism, patriarchy, and white supremacy. I knew those things existed. I just didn't have those words. And I experienced a lot of that at SIT and felt like when I was on my internship in Costa Rica, teaching English teachers how to teach English, and I'm just like going through like some study and not really like, I have no real knowledge other than what I've learned from books and like my own wit. And I thought, I'm in this country telling these women and men who are educators who have been teaching in their field that English is going to be the way to like change their lives and change their student lives. And I just wasn't buying it. It just wasn't connecting for me. And so I came back after the internship and, you know, finishing up my master's there at, at SIT and came across this program at Marlboro College at their grad, their grad college. And it was called Spark, Spark Teacher uh, Educational Program. So I did a master's there where I did a year-long internship in a small school in Putney, Vermont, um, teaching elementary, grade five, with a co-teacher, but teaching for social justice. And so it was just like a way of like relearning education and like relearning everything I've learned about, you know, everything we've been told, like as far as like, where did math come from? Where did science come from? It just didn't start in Europe, right? It was something that was existing within the world way before then. And also bringing in this idea of equity and justice and that kids have a voice um, and they should be able to use it. And I can learn from them as just as much as they can learn from me. And I did that program and in Vermont. And so I was there for about, almost in Vermont for three years in Brattleboro. But I never got to spend a summer in Vermont because I would have to leave to go and work and do like summer programs so that I could come back and stay the next year because these pro the programs weren't paid programs. Um, like internships weren't paid. Uh, and then I came back to DC and um, lived in DC, taught, worked in DC, had a whole life in DC, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit. And um, then I ended up coming back to Vermont just this year. DC has always been home to me. Um, I remember in the sixth grade going to a field trip from my small little town in Maryland on the Eastern shore where we were the only black family on our block. And one of like, yeah, I think we were the only ones cause we were surrounded by a lot of older white families. And, um, and you know, I have always known I was black. You know, I grew up knowing that. It's not a thing that I did not know. And my experience has been pretty, even though pretty rough beginnings of where I came from, it was still a kind of middle-class black experience um, because of the connections that my family ex and extended family had, um, it afforded me a lot. You know, I was in Boy Scout troops. I, I, I went traveling. We camped, we, you know, all that kind of stuff. But DC was the first time on a field trip where I just saw like black people just like, like the Huxtables, you know, like on, like on the Cosby show, uh, Cosby, but you know what, what I'm saying, right? Like a black bus driver, black guys walking down the street in suits and it's not Sunday for church. Um, so it's always been a place that I've always wanted to go and I did and I called it home. And it was also my space of like, the, I say the first shift of coming into understanding my sexuality. Um, because before I moved to DC, I assumed at the time that I was bisexual because I had a girlfriend um, in high school and in college and 
though I had had some kind of small relationships that were mostly sexual with guys at the time. But like DC was my whole full chocolate city, gay early 2000s experience, you know, warehouse nightclubs, uh, partying and dancing until the, you know, the sun comes up, um, having uh, real romantic relationships with another man, um, uh, picking my chosen family, you know, like having, having my family, my, you know, my blood relation and extended family, but picking family, picking family, my friends, you know, like 20 years of friendship of all like rested inside of DC and a lot of me. So when I left DC to go to Vermont, you know, that was like a whole nother reawakening because I was finding out more things about myself, things that I knew I liked, like hiking and making things from nothing and gardening and all that kind of stuff, right? And then I go back to DC this time after I'd graduated and I'm teaching and enjoying that. And I'm an elementary school teacher and I'm a generalist, so I teach all the subjects and I love that. And this time when I was there, before I moved back um, to Vermont, um, at the start of the pandemic, or kind of in the middle of it, uh, I was in a relationship for seven years. I got married, um, so I was married. I'm kind of still married. We're in a separated place, and we're going to be divorced. But you know, it was it was a lot of growing and a lot of growing pains. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know how to describe that other than because I don't want to bad mouth my ex. But we had we just had some difficulty because I was learning things about me through that relationship that I had not addressed from my past. I feel like he was doing the same, and it was very tumultuous. And on the outside, you know, it looked really good on the outside, but it wasn't. It wasn't really good. It was like one of those things, like you know, you're you're driving home. Like we were, we had put down a deposit on a house that was being built right before we separated. We were, you know, we were like that couple that everybody kind of wanted to be. We, that's how we showed up. Um, but that's not what it was. Like I drive home from work and I'm like, Derek, fuck, why are you, why are you doing this? Like, what, what is this? This is not what love is supposed to be about. Um, yeah. So DC gave me all those things. And it also, I think it gave me the ability to like, really like, I don't know, start to really think deeply about where I wanted to see myself be and how I wanted to be. I think that kind of was like the push. Um, hence my move to, to Vermont. And, and when was that? So I, I finished my degree uh, from Marlboro Graduate School in 2013. So from 2013 until... Yeah, 2000, March of 2020. Um, I met my ex in 2014. Um, Yeah, we got married. We were together for some time and we got married in 2018. Okay. Yeah, and then we separated right at the start of... It's funny. This is how funny shit shit is, Richie. <laughs> I always share this story because it's 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 funny to me, but it's like you know how you it's like the catalyst for something, and you don't realize it's a catalyst. So um, 
and I'll just share this because I think it's, it's important to my story. Um, my mom is a therapist, so that's a thing, right? And growing up with someone who has a parent, if you have a parent who's a therapist or a social worker or anybody who's in the helping profession, it kind of gives you like these tools to be very introspective, but also like to always question everything because you're kind of constantly being questioned around your emotional. So I feel like, but it's helped build my emotional intelligence. Um, and having a parent who is a therapist means that you probably are so gonna need a therapist. <laughs> so with all the crazy stuff that was happening in my life, I was kind of at a point of like burnout around work. But I think that was a lot to do with like the stress of my relationship. My relationship was very stressful. And so I decided to put myself back into therapy and I was seeing a therapist and I've always had kind of thing with like boundaries, not really like setting them, like knowing what I want, but kind of like letting shit kind of just happen or trying to force fit things. Like I have my friends and I want my friends and my partner to be friends. Or I want all my friends to be friends and they don't really want to be friends, but I want them to be. And so it gets all sticky and murky, whatever. So my partner and I, for my birthday, this is my birthday, 2019, we decided we were going to go to Chicago. And we went to Chicago and we had a great time. And um, a friend of mine was hosting a brunch for me on my birthday, which was the 8th, which was a Sunday. And she called me up while I was in Chicago and she was like, you know, um, there's some people who are backing out. I think it's just going to be a small thing. And... I knew who the people who were going to be there. And my ex had like issue with a few of the people who were going to be there. And I was like, it's my birthday. I don't really want to stress on my birthday. Like I've been stressed enough. This trip has been great. And I had just been in a therapy appointment. That's why I mentioned it. And my therapist was like, you know, honor what people say to you. If people say they're, they are uncomfortable with someone, don't try to force it. Just let them know upfront, this is what's going to happen and give them the option. So I was like to my ex, I, was, I said to him, um, you know, such and such is going to be there. It's probably going to be real ratchet. We're going to be at brunch. It's going to be all day. We're going to be drinking. Um, you don't have to go if you don't want to go. And he was like, okay, fine. But it sounds like you don't want me to be there. And maybe secretly, now in hindsight, I probably did not. Because I knew that I was going to have to like, almost like babysit him and be worried about him and not worried about what was happening. Like, and me enjoying my birthday. Anyway, the next day we got back late on the flight that night, early Sunday morning. Sunday morning comes, he helps me pick out the clothing I'm gonna wear, you know, have a good time, et cetera, et cetera. We're at brunch. I spent all day at brunch. It really was on the turn up, you know, like champagne, lots of drinking, lots of dancing. We stayed out all night and I, half the day really, and late into the night. And I hadn't called him and he hadn't called me because that wasn't our practice, right? We're married, we know where one another is gonna be, whatever. Um, and as soon as I got home, I'm coming out of my clothes. If I was to get in bed, I'm all excited from the day, you know, going to get in bed and with my ex. And he was starting a new gig the next day. Um, and as soon as I got into bed, he shot up out of bed and was like, you're coming home this late. You haven't called me, et cetera, et cetera. And I just turned to him and I was like, I'm not doing this right now. <laughs> like, not right now. And I was like, and you start a new job tomorrow. Like you just got a promotion, a big promotion because he works for the federal government. He's like, 
You just got a big promotion. Why do you want to argue, you know, a few hours before it's time for you to go and start your new job? And he's like, well, I'm leaving. And I was like, okay, well, you leave. So he left. And we haven't been together since then. And, you know, even though we tried to, like, and probably more so for me, because I was at the beginning, I was like, oh, fuck, I'm, you know, we got this house we're building. You know, we got all these things. I really love this person, et cetera, et cetera. And then we met, like we, like, we spent the holiday together, not Christmas, but we spent New Year's Eve together. And I thought, okay, maybe this is going to be something we're going to work through, et cetera. And he had made some promises that he was going to do a few things before we got back together. And... um I was just making decisions about how I wanted to see 2020 look for me, like trying to, I use the word manifest, but try, yeah, to manifest what 2020 was going to look like for me. And it wasn't going to be stressful. And I made up my mind that I was going to be reconnecting to people I had not been connected to for a while. And I made these plans to like travel without him, to see my friend Dwayne over in Jamaica, to see my best friend Lisi in Florida. And so I started doing that. So like, and, and I came back up to Vermont to visit with my friends there over the King holiday and um, was there and had a great time. Everyone met me out at this little restaurant in um, Brattleboro and it just felt good. And then I came back and I went to Jamaica and then uh, me and my best friend, Kenny, we went to Puerto Rico and this is all like in the, between January and February, I'm like just popping all over the place because I didn't, you know, who knew that Corona was on its way. And that just kind of started rolling like how my life was going to be. Because I felt like in that moment, like I was trying to prepare myself that this thing with him was over. And I knew it was over. I just didn't want to, I didn't want to say it, but I was kind of going through the, 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 I don't know, you going through the motions or the actions of like Queens. And so like he moved out of the, our apartment and I just kind of went out and took everything out of the, you know, wasn't representative of him or us and kind of made it my own. So I was preparing myself. And then finally we decided that it wasn't going to be anything more. And I was in our little apartment by myself and we had, we were able to get our deposit back on the home that we were building, luckily. And then Corona shows up while I'm in Florida. And, you know, I fly back to DC. And as I said, I'm in my apartment and I'm on a Zoom like this with um, my friends in Vermont and my friend Nick says to me um Derek you should come here for like a month and I was like okay I should it's like I should do it I could come for a month because I'm working remotely I should just do it and I did it and I and I came to Vermont and I stayed with her in Brattleboro in her apartment and um Every day I would get up and do this hike up one Tassican Mountain, which is this great like overview of um, Brattleboro if, if you've ever seen seen it. And I was challenging myself and my time to get up. And I was going out every morning, every other morning for a jog. And I had like all these great people around me. And and then as time a month went by, and then a month and a half went by, and I was like, you know what? I'm moving to Vermont. <laughs> I'm going to move to Vermont. And because um, this is where I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm being my most authentic self. Um, you know, even DC gives you a part of that for me. When I'm in Vermont, I don't know. I guess I, at heart, I am crunchy granola. 
and um, own it, accept it. That's yeah. okay. And so, yeah. So this, the reason why I said earlier that 2020 has been awesome is because, yeah, shit has been really bad for everybody. You know, like our country, our government, the country's government is crap. Um, coronavirus is a, a real thing, and it's taking a lot of people's life lives. Um, I've been able to reconnect and connect to parts of myself that I hadn't connected to in a long time. And I'm finding out more about myself in this year and how I want my life to be than I have in like the last now 41 years because I'm 42. So um, I owe that to Vermont because it did give me, it's been a place as stressful, and I'm not going to say it hasn't been stressful, because just experiencing, like, I experienced Vermont the first time as a Black man in a, on a small little campus, a college town, with very affir- a very affirming space. And this time around with the political climate, it's been the opposite. Um, so that has been there, and that has been real. But it also has been a place of, like, solitude and exploration and um, solidarity and and all those other great things. My life has always been like academic and recreation, academic and recreation. So like Vermont, coming back to Vermont as far as like academics, right? Um, like I love teaching is a part of who I am. I'm a teacher, I'm an educator. Um, and I've had the opportunity to do that and grow in spaces around like this summer, past summer, I worked with some of my friends and colleagues on preparing this uh, course for educators in Vermont for teaching for black lives and putting that curriculum together and then doing that. And that was awesome. And it's been awesome. And we're doing it now, even in the winter, because more people want it and, you know, and doing organizing work, like going to the streets and every Friday in Brattleboro for, you know, like Action Solidarity Fridays with various organizations in Brattleboro and just bringing like to the streets that, you know, Black Lives Matter and that we as all people should stand in solidarity. And then the opposite side of that has been like the expansion of, yeah, like recreation. And that has been gardening, which is something that I did do here and, and, and did do in DC through a community garden, but this time being able to have my own small little garden space. And with my friend, Josh, like we, we grew all kinds of things. We grew corn and watermelons and tomatoes and squash and, and just like putting your hands in the earth, like on a daily basis has been awesome. And doing my first like overnight, everything on your back uh, hiking trip was like an 18 mile hiking trip. Um, from Wantasticate over to New Hampshire through Pisgah with my friend Lauren. And um, I've never done that before. It's something I've always wanted to do. And just like daily hiking, hikes and stuff like that and swimming every day and like fresh <laughs> swimming holes, which is not something that you can do in DC, but like going every day, every other day almost going swimming, um, even going to like the, you know, like going to the nude beach and um Brattleboro and like showing my body because that's not something I've always I've not always been very body positive about my body because there was a time that I was extremely overweight 
and um, unhealthy because I was overweight and like doing all the things I needed to do to kind of like get my body to a place where, you know, I wasn't going to kill myself from like eating, you know? Um, so, and I know that sounds, as I say that, that sounds, <laughs> it sounds far-fetched, but it is true. You can kill like you if you're not like careful of the things you're consuming. Um, anyway, um, yeah, being like very body positive and in my own body, being comfortable in my own body and skin and learning more about my sexuality this um, summer in Vermont, you know, as best I could, you know, I had one person that I was seeing and yeah, and um, understanding like my friend, uh, Lisi in Florida, she and I, we always talk and um, she's always telling me about ethical non-monogamy and I was like, um, Lisi, I don't know if that's really a thing. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not buying it. Um, you know, the whole, you know, the things that you're bisexual, pansexual, you're just confused, you know, all those kind of things that, you know, people tell you and then you kind of absorb and it's like, no, nah, that's, you know what, I am pansexual. I do just find people attractive. I can have romantic and intimate relationships with a person and it doesn't matter what their genitalia looks like. Um, so yeah, all, but that ex those kind of things, I guess, is two things happening. I was shifting and then being in a place where I had the supportive people around me who were not going to put their opinions upon me and then me not really caring if they had opinions about it, like for the first time. And then also because wanting them to know things about me, being comfortable with sharing them with them and then sharing them. And they're like, that's cool, Derek. That's awesome. I'm glad that's happening for you, you know? Yeah. To have um, a supportive, as you said, chosen family, I think is really priceless, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Um, may I ask, what does Black queer culture in Vermont look like to you? Well, until I admit <laughs> you and um, uh, and now Richard, uh, and I've met who is still in New Jersey, technically, but Jersey. yes. Okay. <laughs> so not in Vermont. Um, it was non-existent. Um, and I've, and, and I mean, I've searched for it <laughs> because I was wanting to be very intentional coming to Vermont because the majority of my friends in Vermont that I went to grad school with, who are my colleagues and my friends and my chosen family, they're white. Um, and so this time around, I was very intentional about trying to find first just black people. And then, you know, it would be the cherry on top of the cake if they were also Black and queer. Um, and I have found small pockets of Black people. And I have even had to come to terms with accepting this term BIPOC because it was a struggle for me because I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm Black. And yeah, Black is a color, <laughs> right? And it is in, in, our, in our struggle as people of color, um, in this world under white supremacy is real. Um, but, and even that black is not a monolithic culture, there are some connections that I'm gonna have with other black people 
that I'm just probably not going to share with my black, I mean, my brown and indigenous and other people of color. Um, because I always say this, we are all awash with white supremacy because this is where we were born. This is the world, the earth we were born into, and it exists. Um, and so the things that we hold about ourselves or about others and what people hold about black people, their thoughts about us, um, they're real. And you can be a person of color and still be anti-black. Um, anyway, I'm going on a tangent, but um, it's been non-existent. Um, I have not had the opportunity to really connect with a lot of black and queer people in Vermont. Um, and I think about it a lot too, because I, I feel like, yeah, our connection is we're black and we're queer, but we've been acculturated probably differently. Our experiences about our blackness, like I said, I, I, I didn't grow up in, I grew up on a predominantly white street, but I didn't grow up in a predominantly white space. You know, like my friends looked like me, um, you know, and spoke like me and, and they enjoyed the same things and they, they weren't by themselves. And so I have that connection. I, I have this, I just have this one thing I want to share is that this summer um, I was working with some youth, uh, they're high school students in Springfield, Vermont, through this program called Springfield Community for Change. And some of the things that they would share with me about the things they experienced at their high school, like um, a hot spot at the high school having the N-word. And only thing that was happened was that the principal came out and said, oh, you shouldn't use that word, or them being a, a, afraid to walk through the school just because of the color of their skin. You know, like, that has not been my experience. You know, and so um, I, I say that because then that says like, so then you meet people who are black, who've lived in Vermont a large part of, part of their life. And yeah, the only, sometimes the only connections we have is that we're black or that we have maybe these shared experiences around how we've experienced racism, but somehow we're also very different. And it's been hard for me to connect because um, maybe it's still me. I don't know. I'd have to think about it more. Maybe it's a little bit of my judgment of them. Maybe their judgment of me. Um, maybe I just don't know where they exist. Because, you know, like growing up in the Mid-Atlantic, you see another Black person. It doesn't matter where you are. It's a head nod. It's a wave. It's a how you're doing. Unless you're like just like in like a huge city where everybody is black. But if you're not like you're in some little small town and maybe you're 50, 60, 70% of the population, you still, it's just, it's kind of ingrained. And being in Vermont and, and walking past like another black person and them not looking at me or not speaking to me or like not acknowledging me and I'm acknowledging them. It's like, well, what is happening? But then I get it. Right. Cause it's like, someone's told you that you, what the kids told me, like they get pressed upon, like they go, they have this group at their high school called AWARE and it's for black students and students of color. And their white friends all the time are telling them, why are you going there? Why do you want to hang around with them? As if they somehow have divorced that person of their color, their blackness. And in, and in, and in a sense, that person has divorced themselves from it. 
not out of, mostly out of fear, right? Out of fear of not being accepted by what they are not, which is the majority. So I can see how that would then translate into an, an adult and me and I being adult and trying to connect with other black people and black queer people. And it's, it's not really happened. When do you feel most brown and out? When do I feel most brown and out? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I can take that a lot of different ways. <laughs> However um, you like. <laughs> you know what? To be honest, I feel like I'm, I'm the most brown and out whenever I have the opportunity to be connected with another person. Like right now in this moment, I I am sitting in the fullness of me. I'm I'm black. I'm a man. I'm queer. You know, I'm all of these things. And I think it's those it's those moments. It's those moments when you're around people that you feel I feel safe. Like right now, I feel safe in this conversation with you. Um, yeah, and that that happens when I'm like in that space. It, it would be with you, or be with other friends, or be with family. It's like I know all these things about me, and these people know this about me, and it can it's out there, and it's not like it has. It's not a turn off, turn on thing, right? Um, but yeah, I guess maybe it is because I can use certain language with my friends. I can throw out, you know, honey or queen or girl or whatever, and and that be okay with one set of friends and. And then I can be in a group with another friend and, you know, talk about like ethical non-monogamy and how great sex was and, and it's so great. Like, it's crazy, but like coming to the Vermont, I'm gonna share this too, because it, it kind of, it closes, it goes with it. Meeting this person that I met um, and we just had, we had a situation ship and it was fun because we both agreed to it. But having someone turn to me and say, this is what I like. Is this what you like? Um, and having that conversation before engaging in intimacy. Um, yeah, that, that was like, it's cause it's like, it's so like, I guess I guess keep going. It's so freeing that you feel like you're, you're out, like you're, you're connected to what it is. It's not like something where it's just like, okay, nothing wrong with like a one, two quit hit, you know, nothing wrong with that at all. But just that level, I think it's the level of intimacy and safety. That's where I feel my most browning out or blacking out. That's where I feel it. Wonderful. I love that answer. Um, thank you so much for um, sharing so much of yourself with myself and with everyone else today. Yeah. Um, I think you are beautiful um and i yeah really appreciate your honesty um i think you're great so if you have anything else you would like to add to your story um feel free <laughs> well thanks reggie i think you're pretty beautiful yourself um no i just think i thank you for giving me this opportunity um yeah, I don't know why I've been so casual today, I, but that's all good. I enjoy it. I think it's free. 
Uh, now, today I won't have to go and write my journal because I've done it here. <laughs> no, still, you should still journal. That's a good idea. Why not? Um, no, I don't have anything else to add other than, you know, I'm trying to manifest a great 2021 and I hope that everyone else um, is doing the same, whatever that looks like for them. Um, you know, I'm trying to future think everything, but not not to the extent of like attempting to control it just to kind of create it. And then as it comes, I'm gonna enjoy it. Cause I've always said from a very young age and probably now I'll be able to get to live longer than that. I hope, knock on wood. Um, but I always want, I want to see 100 years. I feel like if I get to see 100 years, I will have experienced all that there is to need to, to have experienced and and I hope it'll be fruitful and that um, it'll be good. And I know that there will be challenges, you know, valley high, mountain lows, or mountain highs, valley lows, however that goes. Um, but yeah, I'm excited about it. And so I hope that everybody else is too. And I hope you get 100 years plus. Yeah, plus. <laughs> 